at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 18 months, no payments and no interest, or $300 off each window, $700 off a Pella entry system, and $1,000 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. A lot of ground to cover on today's program, including some very serious issues. The war in Ukraine does not show any signs of letting up. And as a matter of fact, over the weekend, there's a chance that it's actually going to get even worse as Russia decides, given the fact that they're they're not accomplishing what they hope to accomplish militarily. At least they're not accomplishing it as quickly as they hoped. Now starts to expand it, you know, bombing sites in Ukraine, but very, very near the Polish border, which raises all sorts of issues about, hey, what happens if some of those bombers decide that um, they're going to drop their bombs on the Polish side of the border. Poland, of course, is a NATO member. What does that do? How does the U.S. respond? We're going to talk about all that in a little bit, but I, I, I don't want to start you know, at DEFCON 10 for the Monday. So let's kind of ease into it. Over the weekend, I sent out a tweet. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 Here's what I said. It's Christmas in March for Packers fans. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman both move to Monday Night Football on ESPN, which means they will probably call no more than two regular season Green Bay games, maybe not even that much, depending on what the schedule is. So unlike when they were on Fox and the Packers oftentimes played in the featured game, which meant you got Aikman and Buck, well, maybe five, six, seven times, maybe even more than that a year. Now, maybe once, twice at most, as Aikman follow, as Buck follows Aikman over to ESPN for Monday Night Football. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, after I put up this tweet, I got a lot of response, a lot of feedback from people who are, are really of, of two camps. There are those people out there who just, they can't get themselves enough Joe Buck. Oh, Troy Aikman is a great analyst. He was a super player for the Cowboys, and he brings all sorts of insight. Joe Buck, well, Joe Buck is in the you know Broadcasters Hall of Fame. He's legendary. The games they call, they are unbiased. They call it right down the middle. And, you know, we're, we're lucky to be able to watch football games with those two calling them. Then there's the flip side where I kind of fall, which is I I I understand that you're supposed to be uh, unbiased and stuff, but but I'm sorry, having listened to their broadcasts for for years, it, it is clearly the reason to find a way to sync up the game and then listen to the game on the radio. And that's certainly what I've been trying to do over the last several years because there's nothing more infuriating to me than Joe Buck and Troy Aikman calling a Packers game. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Am I being too harsh on them? Or is this just a Packers fan dream that we're only going to have to hear them if we're watching the game on TV. We're only going to have to hear them a couple times a year. 855-616-1620. Here's a text. I like Joe and Troy. Well, 
that that's good. And I'm sure that there are people out there who like them. I just don't fit into that category. Jeff, thank God I can watch Eli and Peyton Manning for Monday night football. Jeff, what's wrong with Aikman and Buck? They're the top play-by-play guys. Okay, 855-616-1620. Is that it? Are we losing something now because they're not going to be doing the Packers games on Fox? 855-616-1620. I say good riddance and don't let the door hit you on the way out. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Now, now, by the way, if anybody is is sorry that he feels bad for Joe Buck that he's making the move, well, he's 52 years old. Let's see. The New York Post says that he had a year and $11 million left on his contract, but Fox decided to let him out. The Post reported that Buck is expected to sign a five-year contract with ESPN worth between 60 and $75 million. <laughs> 60 and 75 million dollars to call one football game a week and I assume do some other reporting and things like that 60 to 75 million dollars now I understand we can argue that the player salaries are outrageous and we can argue that athlete salaries are outrageous we can argue that entertainer salaries are outrageous five-year deal 60 to 75 million. Let's 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 split it in the middle. 67 and a half million dollars over 11 million dollars a year for Joe Buck and then more for Troy Aikman. In any event, I'm glad they're gone. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I'm usually pretty neutral with those guys, but at times they side against the Packers, which drives me absolutely crazy. Um Yes. Jeff, until Rodgers and the Packers can finally win a championship, I have to side with Buck and Aikman, even though I really don't want to. Well, they did win a championship just a while ago. Jeff, the only thing worse than Joe and Troy calling a Packers game is Troy and Joe calling a Cowboys game and listening to how much Troy favors his own team. Um, Yeah, that's it. Jeff, they're getting paid all that money because they're the best at what they do. To which I would say, if they're the best at what they do, God help all the rest. Jeff, I'm glad Buck and Aikman are gone. They were anti-Packer. It was ridiculous. Jeff, I'm with you. They were not kind to the Packers, especially in the beginning. They must have gotten some feedback since in the last few years they seem to be a little kinder to the Pack and Rodgers. I hope they have fun at ESPN. Troy and Joe, I'm crying big crocodile tears for you. Sarcasm implied. Jeff, good riddance to them. Hope Tony Tony Romo calls the Packers games. Yeah, Romo, I think, in my opinion, runs rings around Aikman as an analyst. I think that the first, especially the first couple years, it was amazing to me what a job that Romo did. Romo would be able to look at the formations, and and, and he'd be able to tell you what the plays are and and what they were going to run, and and they ran it. I, I think Romo works much, much harder than Troy Aikman, and I don't think he's anywhere near as biased as um, Troy Aikman is. Jeff, we don't care for Buck and Aikman. I don't think Aikman is a Packers fan. Give us Tony Romo. Um, Yes. Let's see. Um, Jeff, uh, Troy Aikman's dislike of the Packers is very noticeable. Yeah, I I think that that's apparent, and I think 
even if you're trying to be objective about it, most people would feel this way. Good riddance. I hope that also means Joe Buck won't be calling baseball. Can't stand him. Don't know about that. I mean, ESPN does have, you know, baseball during the summer. Don't know if they're going to shift him over. I agree with you, Jeff. Joe, uh, Tony Romo is the best. Jeff, I like to turn the sound off, keep watching, and then try to sync it up and listen to the radio. Um, yes. Jeff, for me, it doesn't make a difference who is calling the game. But over the last couple of years, those two have proven themselves to be, and then uses a two-word phrase that I choose not to use on the radio. Jeff, for me, I love those guys. Well, good. Then you're going to be able to get them once a week on ESPN. Jeff, good riddance to Aikman. He repeats himself, and listening to his monotone voice is painful. He has zero personality. See, I don't think it's so much that. I just think... I just think he strikes me as lazy. I don't think he brings a lot to this. And, and that's, I think, what happens when you have you know, some of these analysts who just do this year after year after year. I think Tony Romo outworks him um, quite a bit. And I do, I guess my point is, I believe, and it's all subjective, and maybe everybody feels this way, I think that over the years there has been a huge anti-Packers bias. And I think part of that comes from the fact that you know, Troy Aikman is a cowboy through and through, didn't want to play in Green Bay. I think he's always been hostile towards Green Bay, and I think he takes that out in some of his commentary. They try to cover the stuff up, but I just think it ends up showing through. So the bottom line is, I think this is a win-win-win for everybody, because what happens is, if you're fans of Aikman and Buck, well, now you're going to get them once a week. They're going to be broadcasting Monday night, so all you have to do is tune into Monday night, and you can just, just... just bask in their in their glory. On the other hand, if you're like me and you're a Packers fan, you can't stand it when they call Packers games. Now you don't have to worry because maybe once, maybe twice a year, but that insufferable stuff, no Sunday night football, no uh, Sunday afternoon football, you know that with exception of maybe that one or two times a year, the Packers are not going to cross paths with those announcers. And that is Christmas in March. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank is Outdoor Living Unlimited. Are you ready to transform your ho-hum backyard into a luxurious oasis? If so, we've got good news. Your dream patio is within reach. Outdoor Living Unlimited has the experience, skills, and products to turn your vision into a reality. Get a free quotation today and contact Outdoor Living Unlimited at 262-567-4513 or visit them at Outdoor Living Unlimited. Well, here's some breaking news being reported by the Milwaukee Business Journal, and it is sad news for this area. Mike Cudahy, who the Business Journal describes as one of Metro Milwaukee's leading and most personal business and philanthropic leaders of the past six decades, passed away March 11th at the age of 97. Michael Cudahy was a larger-than-life figure. There's just no question about it. He was the, one of Milwaukee's most prominent business executives. He built 
Marquette Electronics, which he really he started Marquette Electronics, really kind of out out of his garage, and then you know ended up selling it, and after that he had his hand in many many civic involvements, including um, Discovery World. He was one of the driving forces uh, behind that, and then also the the restaurant, which is now Harbor House, on the other side of um, Discovery World. That for years and years and years it was this awful. Polynesian restaurant called Pieces of Eight that had nothing going for it at all other than the fact that it had this prime lakefront setting. But the food was just terrible, and it didn't matter who ran it. It was just always awful. Well, under Cudahy's leadership, what happened is you, you had Discovery World being created. You had um, Harbor House that was built, and then um, the, it was run in conjunction with the Bartolotta Group. So, I mean, Cudahy, Mike Cudahy was very responsible for what happened at Discovery World, um, the Paps Theater and the Riverside Theater were both keys to development. And, and again, if, if you go back um, a number of years, the Paps Theater and the Riverside Theater were in, in, in really kind of bad shape. And it was Mike Cudahy's vision. And I understand some of this stuff was, was controversial. And he cut some, especially with the Paps, he cut some very, very favorable deals with the city of Milwaukee. But he came in and he renovated it. Now, you know, the Paps Theater, which was on its last legs, is now a wonderful place to see shows. And the same thing is true with the Riverside Theater. In addition to that, um, he donated a huge into philanthropy. Mike Cudahy was responsible for donating millions of dollars to many nonprofits and groups, including the Milwaukee Art Museum. Um, he was really, he was kind of a force of nature. There's no question uh, about that. And, and just a true, genuine character as well. I think many people um, know, know my wife, Fran, who was the general manager at a place called the River Lane Inn, which was a very, very famous and successful restaurant out in Brown Deer. And Mike Cudahy was a regular there on, on multiple occasions, always had his own special booth and stuff. And he was just he was just a really interesting, fun, and, and beloved guy who really made an impression in in Milwaukee. And anybody that came across Mike Cudahy, well, just just knew what what a what a character, a larger than life character he was. I first I first really got to know him back in 1994 when I was you know, running for, for statewide office. And I met him in conjunction, conjunction with that campaign. And every once in a while, I would run into him and I'd run in. And, you know, he, he was a figure in the North Shore. You could, you know, go into different places and there you, you'd see Mike. And again, he um, hadn't seen him much in the last couple of years. I think Fran and I, I think we probably saw him at, at breakfast. It was breakfast or lunch at, at one of the places in the North Shore a couple of years ago. And it was very clear that he was in... Um, it was clear, very clear that he was in, in bad health, but nevertheless, again, a larger-than-life character who really put his stamp in Milwaukee and, and on Milwaukee and who ended up, uh, again, with, huge with philanthropy. He was just... He was just a really interesting guy. If if they still had readers' digests, you know, every once in a while, readers' digests would have these pieces about you know the most your most interesting character, the most interesting person you met. I'm sure there is someone out there somewhere who would write that piece about Mike Cudahy, saying he was the most interesting character they met. In any event, um, he will very much be missed. The Business Journal reporting that Mike passed away um, a couple of days ago at the age of 97. 
Um, he he is the classic example. You know, we talked about this last week with the passing of Margaret Farrow. Um, Mike Cudahy is one of the classic examples, in my opinion, of of a life well lived, and that to me is that that to me says a lot. On the national stage, as long as we're talking about passings, um, William Hurt, um, who was an incredible actor who has this really interesting trifecta. It's only been a handful of actors who fit into this category. He was nominated for Oscars three years in a row, Best, Best Leading Man, you know, Best Actor, three years in a row, which is something that's almost completely unheard of. He passed away um, over the weekend at the age of 71. Um, he apparently was suffering from... Uh, a form of cancer, I think it was prostate cancer, that ended up, uh, you know, and he'd been sick for a while. But if you think back about some of the movies that, that William Hurt was in, um, the, the Big Chill, which if you are a, a baby boomer, it's the kind of the ultimate coming-of-age movie. That was his, one of his very first ones, which was in 1983. He did Children of a Lesser God. He did Kiss of a Spider Woman, Broadcast News, which was a very, very successful movie with um, Albert Brooks and Holly Hunter, you know, he performed in that, The Accidental Tourist in 88. And, of course, you know, one of the, one of this, the absolutely amazing movies is Body Heat. If you're ever looking to go watch a movie with Kathleen Turner, uh, a movie that just kind of epitomizes the whole thing they talk about when they talk about film noir, it, it would be Body Heat. Just an amazing movie. As a matter of fact, I watched it probably in the last three weeks again, and, and Body Heat is one of those movies that really, really holds up. So he, for a new generation of film goers, they, they might know him. Uh, he played um, in the movie Incredible Hulk, and he later reprised that role in Captain America Civil War and Infinity War, some of the Avengers movies. So at the end of his career, kind of got into some of the, the Marvel movies as well, which introduced him to a new generation. But William Hurt was just an, an amazing an amazing actor who passes away at the age of 71, which is, you know, again, way too soon. So I, I've been saying this over the course of the last 10 or 11 weeks. Uh, 2022 has been a very difficult year for losing losing big personalities, losing people from the world of politics. Again, locally, just in the last couple of weeks, you have Margaret Farrow who passed away, and now Mike Cudahy, and then Sidney Poitier, Meatloaf, William Hurt, the list goes on and on and on, all of which kind of demonstrates you know, how, how transitory life is and how we have to enjoy every day. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, this is kind of a morbid way to start the Monday. We just talked about the passing of Michael Cudahy, local entrepreneur, and over the weekend, William Hurt, the famous actor, passed away. Maybe a little bit more obscure, but not necessarily if you grew up around here or if you were a fan of professional wrestling in the 80s and 90s. Scott Hall, who was a very, very successful wrestler, 
broke in in the old American Wrestling Association, the AWA that we used to watch around here, then really came to fame when he moved to the WWF in 1992. He was Razor Ramon. That was his character. And then ultimately he, he ended up moving over to the, the rival NWA. And this was back in the 90s when you had the Monday Night Wars and you had the WWF, now the WWE, and they were competing against uh, the, the Turner-owned broadcast networks. And, and professional wrestling was big. And this was the era of Hulk Hogan and things like that and uh, Scott Hall very very famous either as the character Razor Ramon or himself um, his life was and this is not a, a, a secret and I'm I'm always mindful when we talk about stories like this the, of my my late great Latin teacher Juanita Bonneman at Nicolay High School who, who taught me two Latin phrases which have stuck with me my entire life one is in wino rerum which means in wine there is truth and the other is de mortem nil nisi bonum which means speak nothing but good of the dead and I always try to follow those but I, I don't think that this is, it's not like telling secrets. Scott Hall was um, a very, very successful wrestler, but he was also very, very troubled, and he fought addictions to alcohol and drugs for a good portion of his life. And unfortunately, that's one of the things that, that happens a lot of times to the, these professional wrestlers. It's it's a very, very tough life for people who are just aspire to this. It's You're on the road all the time. It's incredibly hard on your body, not just the travel and stuff, but the falls you are taking. There's people who say, well, you know, it, it's, it's fake. Well, okay, it is and it isn't. Wrestling is fake in the sense that People are playing characters, and the results are predetermined. But it, it, the, the flips and the falls and the bumps and the bangs these guys take, that's that's not fake. That That's real, and you have to know how to land, and there's a lot of injuries, and there's a lot of pain that goes along with it. And a lot of these guys, that, that's that's how they deal with it. They kind of self-medicate and stuff. And, yeah, again, it's, it's no secret that Scott Hall, over the course of his career, um, career probably ended prematurely again because of his, his problems with drug and alcoholism. The uh, story is, as it's breaking now, is apparently he went in for hip surgery a short while ago, and they're saying that he had multiple heart attacks. Um, and was put on life support over the weekend after suffering multiple heart attacks due to a blood clot that occurred after hip replacement surgery last week. And so uh, the report is that 63-year-old Scott Hall will be taken off life support as soon as his family is in place. So, uh, again, it's, you know, when, when you... All these these people that we grew up with, like the wrestlers and stuff, and I, I admit, I've told this story on the radio before. I mean, my... I come to my fondness for professional wrestling honestly because my grandmother, my father's mother, she she used to watch wrestling on television and you could never, ever, ever convince her that that it was predetermined or fake or whatever. She just she she'd yell at the T V and, and just to her dying day she that that's what that's what she believed and um so that she kinda got me interested in that. I remember as a little boy when my grandparents were babysitting me, you know, Saturday night sitting in their living room watching watching wrestling and stuff and it was so I, I come to this honestly. I think my brother came to it honestly as well. But um there, there a lot of those wrestlers who were, you know, big in the sixties and seventies and eighties um, are not with us anymore, in part because of the toll that all that takes. So Scott Hall, 
Razor Ramon, if you used to follow that, um, going to be taken off life support today. Just not not a great weekend as you have local personalities and entrepreneurs and national people um, passing away. All right, let us switch gears. There was a period of time where Anthony Fauci was the word I'm going to use. My college reading word is ubiquitous. You could not turn on the television. You could not turn on the radio. You could not pick up a newspaper. You could not log on to a website without finding, you know, Anthony Fauci being um, featured prominently. And my argument over the course of the last year and a half was that he was greatly overexposed. And I, I did several topics about this. I mean, my advice, I don't think Fauci is the villain that some people perceive him to be. But the problem is, I, I think he has a fondness and a lust for publicity. And by accepting every interview, every speaking engagement, going on TV constantly, what ended up happening is he ended up diluting his message because he'd go on TV one day and he'd say something on Sunday and then he'd be asked a question about something he said on Sunday and then he'd answer it a different way on Tuesday and then he'd answer it a slightly different way on, on Wednesday. And he contributed, I think, to some of the mixed messages that were, were going out about COVID. So if you've noticed... Over the course of the last six weeks or so, you hardly see anything of Anthony Fauci. Now, some people have kind of jokingly around said that they think they put him in witness protection. It's not like that. He, he still does the occasional interview, um, but generally speaking, you're not seeing him prominently on the national news on a nightly basis. He's not on the national cable channels. If he's out there, maybe it's a local news interview. Maybe it's a little watched YouTube type of thing. So he's not completely disappeared, but he's definitely been drawn back. So the question becomes, why? Is it because, well, we're out of the pandemic and he has very, very little to offer? so that there's not a relevance to to this anymore, or are we following the science? And by following the science, I mean the political science, because it's very, very clear that the American people are ready to move on. I know you might not be ready to move on, but the American people are. That's, for example, one of the reasons that the State of the Union address a couple of weeks ago, mysteriously, the day before the State of the Union address, they dropped the mask mandate rules for for Congress so that when this televised event occurs, nobody is wearing masks because they knew, I believe, that the American people didn't want to see it. So 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, what do you think is going on with the, if not disappearance, certainly the cutback in the appearances for Anthony Fauci? Is it because we're not talking about COVID anymore? We're talking about Ukraine. That's where the focus is. Or is it because there is a calculation on the part of the administration, for example, that the American people don't want to hear this anymore, and Anthony Fauci, for good or bad, represents the the face of the pandemic, and it's time to put him in a box and put that box back on the shelf. 855-616-1620. What's going on? Why is there less Fauci now? We discuss in just a minute. 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. And, and the, 
it is interesting because for for two years, Anthony Fauci was the the face of the U.S.'s response to COVID. And as I I was arguing before, I think he did himself a disservice because I think he was overexposed. I, I don't. I don't see Fauci as a villain that some people do, but I, I think you know when you when you go on TV every day and you end up saying contradictory things, you end up sending mixed messages. And I, I think he should have been candidly. I, I think he should have been much more discerning. And just because somebody somewhere asks you to do an interview doesn't mean you always have to say yes. And so I, I think he he did himself a disservice. And again, cr- helped create this idea of, well, you say follow the science, but what is the science when you're saying something different every two or three days? In the month of December, Fauci did 22 interviews or, an appearance, or appearances with major national news outlets or programs, from Rachel Maddow's NS- MSNBC show to a show on Fox Business to a sit-down with The Atlantic. In January and February combined, he made only 15 such appearances, and he, he's only made a handful in March. So clearly... He's he's not out and about. I guess the question is, is it because COVID is over? Is it because he has nothing more to contribute? Or, and I, I think this is kind of the reality, is is what's happening is that the Democrats, starting with Joe Biden, they're looking at the poll numbers, and they realize that the American people, by and large, maybe not you, but the American people, by and large, are ready to move on from COVID, declare victory, and, and move on. And so Anthony Fauci is a reminder of, of COVID, and he's a reminder of 2020 and a reminder of 2021. So as we move into 2022, where in November, what do we have coming up? Oh, the midterms. Anthony Fauci is not an asset. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Mike in Illinois. Mike, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? So to answer your question, yes and yes. He's definitely not as relevant because the pandemic has become less and less. And he is going to be a political liability the more he's associated with Biden, a political liability for Biden. It's the same thing, and I know I mentioned this before, back in August of 2020, when the numbers started to show that people were getting tired of the rioters, and Biden and Harris had supported them all summer, and then he changed his tune, you know, when the election was getting closer and the numbers were going wrong. So this is the same thing. By and large, the American public is tired of the pandemic. They're tired of being told what to do. And I mean, I'm going to be, I got, you know, or, um, you know, my shots got boosted, wore my mask for two years now. But, you know, if, it's, if I don't have to, I'm not going to. So, um, yeah, he's a political so, liability, I think, right now. So, so you think in this case we're following the science, but it's political science that we're following? Yes, well, in both, really, because the science is showing that, obviously, the science has showed that maybe masks don't do too much. And, of course, he's changed his tune on that more than once. And, you know, the vaccine has worked. And yep. so it's the political science because he would be seen as reminders of a not so good time in this country. Yeah, no, thanks for call, Mike. I, I, I actually, I kind of think you you nailed it. Um, it, it really is. It, here's a couple texts. Jeff, President Biden, while on the campaign trail, promised to end the pandemic. That didn't happen. And now we're heading into the midterm elections. And Dr. Fauci is a reminder 
that COVID is still out there. Jeff, I like witness protection. Well, <laughs> that's an overstatement of it because it's not that he's not doing any interviews because he does pop up. But when, when you see him, it, it's it's not, hey, I'm, I'm sitting down with Good Morning America or I'm the Today Show or I'm doing ABC News with David Muir or I'm on Rachel Maddow's show or I'm at Fox Business. That That's not what you're seeing anymore. He, he'll be, if he pops up, it tends to be in more obscure sort of situations where the viewership is a lot less. And there's a lot fewer of those appearances that are out there. Um, Jeff, I believe we are finally coming out of this pandemic. Dr. Fauci is not seen as much because his job is close to being done as far as the pandemic goes. Um, Jeff, Fauci's being gone has affected my health. It's better. Every time I'd see him, my blood pressure would explode. Um, that's it. Jeff, I got a pretty good idea. The Biden administration probably gave him a seven-figure deal to go away. Well, I, I don't know about that. I just think it's clearly the, the, clearly the Biden administration wants to pivot. They recognize that COVID, number one, the COVID numbers are dropping dramatically. That is a good sign. Number two, they also, they read the same polls that everybody else does. They see the strategic memos, and they recognize that that COVID is not a winner for Biden anymore. Might have been when they were running against Trump. But remember, I mean, again, Biden, and, and we can argue about whether or not it's fair to criticize him or not. We can argue about whether it is fair to say you should have anticipated the the Omicron variant and all those sort of things. Those are fair arguments. But nobody, I think, can argue with the basic premise that it it's you know Joe Biden who ran for office on the premise that we're going to get COVID is going to disappear. I am going to solve COVID. Didn't and again, it might nobody might have been able to do it. Might be an unfair criticism, but that's kind of the reality. And I think it's very very clear that Joe Biden and the Democrats want to move on from that, and that um, Dr. Fauci is a reminder of that. Jeff, the politicians, all they care about are the polls. Also, some of Fauci's inconsistencies have been exposed, etc., etc. Um, Jeff, don't send out the search dogs. A lot of us have had enough from him. Um, yeah, I think that's just the reality about this. Now, um, another text says, Jeff, China just put 51 million people into lockdown because of COVID. I don't think Fauci is going away anytime soon. Well, okay, the question would be, if that's the case, if you think that they want to pivot back to COVID, you know, will, will Dr. Fauci be making the return and will we be seeing him all over the news? I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think... I think at least until November, I think we're pivoting away from the COVID issue. Maybe we're doing it prematurely. That's a whole different discussion. But for the moment, I don't think you're going to expect to see Dr. Fauci doing every network newscast like it seems like he was doing on a daily basis, um, like he was in 2020 and then in 2021. He's not in witness protection, but he is kind of being put away. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. Well, you can't say you were not warned. I'm the guy that always says elections have consequences. And so people vote for the wrong candidate, and then they complain when things just go to you-know-where. Classic example of that Milwaukee is the decision that Milwaukee voters made to uh 
toss out long-serving city attorney Grant Langley, and they they ended up going with the current city attorney, Tierman Spencer, who's just a disaster. And, and everybody understands the guy is a disaster. Well, here at least you have been warned. Dan Bice, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, has a piece today about a, a guy who's running for the Milwaukee County Board. His name is Juan Miguel Martinez, and he'll be up for election in early April. He's running against former state representative Josh Zepnik for an open District 12 seat representing the South Side. South Side. Okay, here's some of the highlights. He has previously written the four criminals on the face of Mount Rushmore. Presidents George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, and Theodore Roosevelt should be removed. The Cuban Revolution, led by communist Fidel Castro, empowers me and fuels me to keep striving for workers' rights and people of color. He wrote, 90% of motorcyclists are racist, homophobic, Trump-supporting trash. He put that up there during Harley-Davidson's 115th anniversary. He writes, the Republican Party should have been aborted. Um, Let's see. November 16th puts up a Facebook post calling cops racist and pigs on several occasions. Pulled over on the freeway. Pig winks at me asking where I'm going. I tell him Kenosha. He gives me a $220 ticket for going 66 and a 55. I ask him, got to keep the poor people broke so we don't fight back, huh? He looks at the communist pin I have on my jacket. I make sure I adjust my coat so he can do it better, see it better. And then... That the piece goes on and on and on and on and on. So, I mean, here's the bottom line. For those of you who do turn out to vote on April 5th, you've got State Representative Josh Sepnick, who has kind of a, a sort of checkered past himself, and you've got Juan Miguel Martinez, who wants to tear down Mount Rushmore because there's criminals on it, who thinks that you, if you are a motorcyclist, you are a racist, homophobic, Trump-supporting trash if you're a Republican, the Republican Party should have been aborted. And as far as Fidel Castro, well, he empowers him and fuels him to keep striving for workers' rights. If that's the guy you want on the Milwaukee County Board, go with God. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I, during the break, I'm getting a number of people texting me. They said, Jeff, you're making that up. No, 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 I'm not. Hey, go to JS Online. It's Dan Bice's latest piece, Juan Miguel Martinez. Yes, if you're George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, they are four criminals, and they should be removed from Mount Rushmore. The Cuban Revolution, led by Fidel Castro, empowers me and fuels me. Huh. Some 90% of motorcyclists are racist, homophobic, Trump-supporting trash. That he wrote during the 115th Harley celebration. The Republican Party should have been aborted. Got pulled over on the freeway for speeding. Uh, The pig winks at me, asking where I'm going. I tell him Kenosha. He gives me a $220 ticket for going 66 and a 55. I say, got to keep the poor people broke so we don't fight back, huh? He looks at the communist pin I have on my jacket. I make sure I adjust my coat so he can see better. And they go into even more details. but, But you get the idea. A complete and total whack job who, depending on... What happens in the election on April 5th could very well be the county supervisor representing the South Side District on the Milwaukee County Board. You just, you just don't know what to say about stuff like this. All right, let's get serious. The war in Ukraine continues 
to, I, I, I want to say drag on, press on, whatever phrase that, that you want to use. It is very clear to me that Vladimir Putin, the leader of an evil empire, badly misjudged what was going to happen. I think he believed that this was going to be a walkover. I think he felt that Russian tanks and Russian military superiority would subdue the entire country in a day or two, that there would not be huge organized resistance from Ukraine, and this would be, again, like I say, a walkover. He also, I think, badly misjudged the fact that he thought the West would pretty much let him go away with this, get away with it, and and the West hasn't. There's been clearly some, I, I think, you know, arguments about among NATO, um, for example. But in general, I think the West has pretty much united against Russia. And from a geopolitical perspective, I, I think it's hurt Russia and will continue to hurt Russia for a long time. On top of that, you've got economic sanctions, which haven't completely crushed the Russian economy, but it, it's, it's not good. The ruble's worth what, you know, one, uh, it used to be worth, it's worth less than a cent to, to the dot when compared to the dollar. You've got Russian, the Russian stock market hasn't been open, I believe, since the, this whole thing started. You've got Russians that can't travel out of the country. You've got Russian citizens who can't, who are outside the country, who can't get back in, even if they wanted to, because their, their accounts are frozen. And what you have is you have large multinational corporations that are pulling out right and left. I mean, so it's a very, very delicate and it's a bad situation. And in response to that, what you've seen is Vladimir Putin has become increasingly uh, aggressive. You, you have missiles that are being shot into civilian areas. Clearly, his, his effort now is going to be try to, to try to duplicate what uh, Hitler tried to do. And I'm always hesitant to use references to Hitler and Nazi Germany because, like I say, they're almost never appropriate. But in this case, you are seeing these eerie parallels. Um, Hitler during the the blitz in for example what 19 when was that 1939 1940 what you saw was hitler who was trying to now bomb london try to to kill civilians and and hope that you could break the spirit of the British people. Um, it's very clear to me that that's what Putin's trying to do now. You're, you're having attacks at hospitals. You're having attacks on civilian centers in an effort to try to break the will of the Ukrainian people. And, and that's that's not happening. So the, the military efforts have pretty much, I don't want to say stalled, but it's settling in for a long, bloody war. Because I don't think Ukraine is going anywhere. And, and even even if the Russians are able to occupy this city or that city, it, it's, it's not like they're going to be greeted as great liberators. What you're going to see is a long war of, of attrition, because I don't know how they govern. Because the Ukrainian people, particularly in, in the western portion of the country, they don't want to be subjected to Soviet rule. So it, it's a mess. Big story in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend about how occupying Ukraine will not be easy. It's also very clear that, that Putin is apparently willing to expand the, this conflict. And the latest example happened over the weekend where his bombers struck a, a base about 15 miles from the Polish border. And clearly, you know, NATO is bringing weapons in. And Putin said, look, I consider this to be an act of war, and I think that those are, are all fair targets. And so he, he 
sent missiles at this this base that had been a, a staging area. But again, it, it's right on the Polish border. So it's very, very easy to imagine, hey, some bomber or some missile gets you know misdirected, and boom, it lands in Poland, and then you have a, a missile attack or bombs falling on you know a NATO country, which rats it ratchets up a problem that's a really, really significant problem to a problem that has hair on it. Because what you know, what is NATO going to do? Because NATO continues to maintain that you know if if any NATO country is attacked, they will respond accordingly. So you, you have this ongoing problem, and by the way, you also have the humanitarian crisis, 2.5 million res- refugees you know, pouring across into Poland, and Poland is now at a point saying, you know, we're, we're kind of maxing out here. We have to figure out what we're going to do, and other countries need to, to start taking refugees. Now, on top of this, there is the ongoing debate in this country as to whether or not the United States and other NATO countries need to be more aggressive in dealing with this. And by aggressive, I mean, should we start flying the planes into uh, Ukraine and then dropping them off for Ukrainian pilots to use? Should we declare a no-fly zone over Ukraine? What that would mean is if you declare a no-fly zone, that means you've got NATO planes that are going to be up, you know, in the air, not allowing Russian planes to fly in and presumably drop bombs or shoot missiles or, or whatever. And the minute you declare a no-fly zone, you probably guarantee that you're going to have Russian planes and NATO planes that are going to be shooting at each other, and then you're off to the races. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Some people, you, you, met, you might not agree with what I'm about to say here, but at this point in time, I do not think the U.S. in particular and NATO in general I don't think we should be engaging Russia directly. I don't think we should declare a no-fly zone because, again, that's going to bring us in direct conflict with Russia. Why do I say that? I say it because I don't think Russia is winning this war. I, I, I don't. And I think the longer it goes on, the more stalled this becomes. I guess the, the question is, you know, what is that going to prompt Putin to do? But at this point in time, I see no sense in, again, involving NATO troops at this point in time, because as soon as the Russians end up shooting at them, you, you're, you know, it's off to the races when we're starting to talk about World War III. I don't think Russia is winning right now. It might be that at some point in time in the future, Russia's tactics Russia's methods, Russia's behavior becomes so irresponsible that you have no choice but to respond in, in kind. But I don't think we're there right now. And I think every day that goes by, Russia loses more and more. And I guess my response would be, let's continue to play this out. And I understand in saying that, that some people are going to say you're, you're abandoning Ukraine because, you know, Putin is going after the civilians. Putin being the war criminal he is is going after the civilians. I appreciate that. It's not a good situation, but confronting Russia directly makes it worse. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do we do? Should we ratchet it up, declare the no-fly zone, start putting NATO troops, not just on the border of Poland, but maybe have them coming in and helping out? I don't think, I don't think that's what you do right now. 
What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Mike in West Bend. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I enjoy your show. Thank you. I'm a conservative. I'm a conservative Democrat. So con- currently, right now, our party is under siege itself in a, in a disaster. But here's what I believe and think, and I've listened and read to a lot of people. Russia's going to crush Ukraine, and it's coming. And the NATO pilots will not be flying these MiGs, which should have been into Ukraine in the fall. But there's ways they can get them in from the bases uh, in, and have those Ukrainians fly those MiGs. So I don't have a problem with that. My problem is you're going to face Putin one way or the other. This guy's an autocrat. And that mamby pamby ring my hands, ah, not going to work. You got to nip this guy in a bud. You're going to face him anyways. You might as well face him now. That's my opinion. Well, I guess. But let me first of all, when when you say you think he's going to crush Ukraine, what what does that when what does that mean to you? What what what, what is crushing Ukraine ultimately? What does that entail? Well, I believe militarily he's been holding back. Um, he's had a lot of fiascos, but we really don't know other than what we can see from what's being reported. But he does have, it's a simple of mathematics, and I'm a veteran. He's got the manpower, and he's got the tools to do it. And I don't really think he cares about our opinion. Um, I believe that look came very weak and very divided, and I just think that he's going to, militarily get into these cities and put his own mayors in and take them under control. And it might take a couple of months, but I don't really fear that he's going to, uh, unless someone steps in, is going to end this. And I don't think we've supported Ukrainians enough. Okay, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I I was asking that. And and look, there's no great answer to this. Um, And and I guess one of my questions becomes, and, and I think, you know, what one of the lessons starting from Vietnam and moving forward that the United States should ask and world leaders should ask is what does victory look like? And that's why I was asking, I said, crush Ukraine. I, I Can I see a situation where ultimately Russians mili- Russia's military strength is able to occupy Kiev, for example? Well, well yeah, but, but th- that occupying it and, and governing it, it doesn't... I, are not necessarily the the same things, and I guess you know. Y- yes, you can move in and you can put in you know puppet mayors and things like that. But just like the Soviets found out in Afghanistan after 1979, that you know, you know th- these these invasions end up leading to lengthy, bloody, complex consequences and conflicts and you know sooner or later you know russia found in afghanistan that they couldn't succeed ukraine is not going to just roll over and this is not austria in 1938 welcoming the nazi the nazis in this is not what that is so i i guess i wonder what what victory ends up like and i think i guess i feel that every day that this goes on russia military accomplishments or not russia looks looks weaker which and then I appreciate what he was saying about well you know if if Putin is bent on world aggression you got to confront him sometime but I guess my question is 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 this where you want to confront him is this 
is this the right battle at the right time, or do you let Russia expend its resources? And I understand by saying that you, you continue to compound the, the humanitarian plate that goes on in Ukraine. I, I, I understand it, but the question is, is this the right time to escalate it, or I don't know. Do you draw a line in the sand, and is that line in the sand at the Polish border, for example, which is a NATO ally, or do we want to get involved in this? 855-616-1620. Let's talk to uh, Dick in Shawano. Dick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, I appreciate your optimism about the fact that Ukraine could probably prevail, but is that after 50,000, 100,000, a half million dead? Might be. Might be, yeah. Uh, how how long can the free world stand by and allow this to happen? Uh, I, I've been watching CNN the last few days, and it's been interesting. They've had two former NATO Supreme Commanders, uh, U.S. generals on. The one this morning said that uh, Putin's goal is to pulverize Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm not sure that the comparison to Afghanistan is appropriate because this isn't Afghanistan. This is a country of 48 million people, the size of Texas. And to take Kiev, they're going to destroy it. They're going to destroy Odessa. And the, the, the line in the sand has been drawn for a long time at the Polish border because if they go across the Polish border, then NATO should just unleash everything they have. Right. Okay, Dick. Well, let's let, game, game plan this with me. No, let, let me. Okay, so game plan this. With, let's it, let's say that NATO makes the decision that to prevent the humanitarian debacle that is going on, we we now we we now send we send troops and we send planes and we engage Russia and militarily we we stop the advance and and maybe push them back. What happens next? Uh, Ukraine is accepted into NATO. Ukraine is protected by NATO forces. Okay. What, what does Russia do? I'm sorry. You, you what, what does Russia do? NATO gets involved. We have troops on the ground, and we we start physically. We're we're, we're killing Russians, and Russians are killing NATO troops. And and let's assume that militarily we were able to force them to withdraw. What does Putin do? Does he just lick his wounds, or does he retaliate somewhere? Well, as, as the generals pointed out, both of them, NATO has five times the men, five times the tanks, five times the airplanes, and they feel that we that that they're finding out that our forces would be far superior to the Russian forces. Now, in anticipating as to what Putin's going to do, you can't take the nuclear option off the table. Yeah. Yeah. He may do that, but quite frankly, for for ten days, I've been convinced that eventually Putin is going to do that if he's going to do it. I don't think he's going to do it because he's going to find no sympathy from the rest of the world, including the Chinese. Okay, Dick, thanks for calling. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. I'm kind of up against the clock. We're going to continue this conversation. I guess I, the, you know, when you game this out, though, that's what you have to think. If it's sort of like, chess but i understand it it's we're talking about human lives if we do this what what is going to what is going to happen 
And if we engage Russia militarily in Ukraine, a, a battlefield not of, of our choosing necessarily, um, we, we get involved in this, you get into a shooting war, you push Russia back. Let, let's assume that you can, you know, you can re- re- force them to, to retreat. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that premise. But then does Vladimir Putin not retaliate? Does he, does he not drop a nuclear bomb on Germany? Does he not? I mean, what happens after that? And you're right, Dick. It could very well happen, I guess, anyways. But if we engage directly, do we make that much more likely? Let's take a break. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I guess I think one of the lessons of, of Vietnam moving forward is that you, you have to you, you have to know what you're getting into when you're getting into an armed conflict. You have to know what you're getting into. You have to understand the consequences of that. You have to know why you're getting into it. You have to understand what what victory is going to look like so you know how you can get out of it. And then you have to be prepared for the, the consequences. And I guess I come back to this basic premise. I, I think Russia is losing the war. Now, hear me out. I, I understand they've got military might. I understand that they're sending missiles into civilian areas. I understand that uh, the humanitarian loss is incredible. I, I get all that. But but they're not accomplishing their goals. They're, they're not taking the cities. Ukraine is resisting. Even if ultimately they're able to demonstrate military superiority, they're, they're not going to be embraced. This is going to be a long, long struggle as they try to subjugate U, uh, Ukraine. Moreover, they are international pariahs. Any gains that Russia made over the last 30 years, I, I believe in the international world, since the fall of the, the Berlin Wall and since the demise of you know communism, the USSR, I, I think they've lost it. They, they are a pariah. Businesses have pulled out, and I think a lot of those businesses aren't going back. And I even think allies like China of Russia... They're, they're trying to have it both ways now because you know China wants to be viewed as much more mainstream and they, they recognize that being associated with Russia puts you in the category of North Korea and Syria, a rogues gallery that people don't really want to be part of. Um, but people are all over the map. Before we go back to the phones, let me just share a couple texts. Diane says, Jeff, I believe we've already poked the bear, and you know what happens when bears get mad. They always attack and lash out at whoever is making them angry. So I don't think it... I, so I think it doesn't matter. He has no regard for human life, and he'll do what he wants to do in retaliation, no matter the consequences. Jeff, I can't believe how many people want to see tens of thousands of American soldiers die over Ukraine. Really? If that was the case, we should have made this apparent to Putin well ahead of time so we could have avoided the entire conflict. No way he would have invaded had he known NATO would launch a counteroffensive. Well, that is the point. We specifically told him. And you can argue whether it was smart or not, but we told them what we weren't going to do. We, we told them from the beginning that we were not going to have boots on the ground with um, in, in Ukraine. Jeff, once NATO, this is from uh, Carl, once NATO gets involved, then China and possibly North Korea would ally. China, under declaration of war, now has their ticket to invade Indonesia, Indo, um, Indonesia to try to acquire those areas. They've been covering World War III. I think we're better to hold off. Um, now, Jeff, one of your callers who suggested that we should go with NATO in and that Putin might use atomic bombs 
um, scares me. I mean, the man is unhinged. He will use the atomic bomb one way or other, but at least maybe we could have saved some people. He will use an atomic bomb. He's insane. No normal person. You're not working with a normal person. We'll sit back. Um, 855-616-1620. Marcus on the north side. Marcus, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing today? Well, troubling times. Scary times. Uh, yes, it is. And I'll get right into it for you. So given the recent um, updates over the weekend with Ukraine and you're getting close to the Poland border, mm-hmm. and as far as Biden's policy that we won't try to engage, but if we engage, we got we have to understand that it's not going to be that type of warfare. And right now, you better believe that throughout the world that our subs, our carriers, everything is on DEFCON 2 at this point. Anything with Russia at this point in the NATO allies, people have to understand, this is not going to end well for, for, for humanity. Can we agree upon that? It's not going to end well for humanity. Anytime there's a nuclear weapon that's going to, that, that is launched at this point, you're going to set off a horrific, from China to Israel, we can go down the line. The subs are going to launch. Everybody's going to launch, okay? So what does that do for the common person right now that you're trying to go to work the next day? We cannot engage that to destroy humanity because of one person. But I agree with you that we can keep doing the sanctions of what we're doing. But the minute that we have to engage in a full-scale battle with Russia, it's not going to be more of a physical situation. It's going to be whoever launches first. And I think that's the end of humanity. And I'll, I'll listen to you off air. Bye. Well, thanks, Marcus. That's that's sort of a depressing way to, to sign off. But I, no, I, I guess see that's what my concern. I, you try to, and I don't claim to be a military expert. You, you try to play these things out, and uh, again, my my premise, and you can disagree with that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm being too Pollyanna-ish on this. I, I don't think this is turning out well for Russia right now. I, I just I don't. I think they thought they were going to have a military walkover. I think they thought the West would crumble, that you wouldn't impose these sanctions and things like that. Russia has turned itself into a, a rogue nation, and I don't know what the comeback from that is. I mean, I, I do know, and and we said we weren't going to put boots on the ground. We, we didn't say, hey, if, if your invasion slows down and you now turn to you know bombing cities, then we're going to come in. I mean, we said all along, we're not going to put troops on the ground. So how, how can you go back on that? If you do ratchet this up, and I, I concede, at least for the sake of argument, I think we could probably push Russia back. But then, you know, what what happens? Do you have, you know, missiles that are launched into Germany or into, you know, into France or, or, or wherever? And, and then then where do you go from here? Are we going to start bombing Russia or sending missiles I- into Moscow and things like that? And then, it go, of course, it, it's what is China do? I, and I understand it sounds like appeasement, and it, but it, to me it's it's really not because Hitler was winning, and you know that that's what the the deal was. Hitler was winning, and the idea was we just want him to go away. We're not going to do anything. We just don't want him to bother us. I don't think Putin is winning, 
and I don't know what winning looks like in the context of of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, because I don't think they're going to be able to subjugate Ukraine. Militarily, can they occupy it? Yes. But then they are an occupied nation, and you're going to be looking at years and years and years of guerrilla warfare and things of the like. This isn't... Again, this isn't a situation where they're being welcomed as liberators. They are being viewed as conquerors. And the longer this goes on, the the more pressure it puts on Putin. Now, I understand that that pressure could cause him to, to lash out and attack Poland or attack one of the other NATO countries. If he does that, it's a different conversation. It's a different conversation. But right now we're discussing whether or not NATO wants to get directly involved in Ukraine after saying we wouldn't and, and where that leads us. Let's talk to um, Bill in Caledonia. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Hi, Bill. Good. Well, trouble times. I, uh, trouble, I, I wish I had an answer. You know, It, it, is, it is terrible. I, I got couple of points. One is that, yes, I agree that Russia is not winning right now, but the people of Ukraine are dying. Yes. At what point, how, how many thousands of mothers and children and others do we allow to die before we step in and say enough is enough? We, we just can't let it go on. My son and his family are in Latvia right now which is just north of the uh, ukraine right. and they've started to um work in the church that they are in to put in rooms to try and take refugees some of the people from the church are in poland driving trucks driving people to latvia to help them get out of poland there is so much suffering two and a half million people are going to leave at, at what point do we do something about it? Plus, on a side note, I think Putin is in very high risk of being assassinated. I don't think he's probably really popular in Russia right now. And I think he's going to become less popular as, as these sanctions continue to take hold, and more and more average Russians find that they, they they can't get they can't travel, they can't get their money out. That all these these Western companies that have been there from McDonald's to Starbucks to the stores that they're not operating anymore, and, and their life has changed. Let, I, and I appreciate what you're saying about the humanitarian crisis, but let me ask you the flip side of that. We have had, for example, there have been. Brutal civil wars in in Africa that have genocide involving tens of thousands of deaths, and we have not militarily intervened. What what's different about this? Then should we have been getting involved in all those conflicts? Should we have been sending troops to you know half a dozen of those countries that were torn with civil war? Well, I agree. There's been a lot of atrocities that have gone gone on. The difference is, is that this is all over the news. And, and, you know, you don't want to talk about the racial issues, but, you know, the genocide, a lot are people with color. These are the Ukrainians. They're, they're white. They've got television. They've got everything else. So we're able to see the news and the media has picked, picked up on it. I don't think it's right. But I don't think because of the past we shouldn't do anything in the Ukraine. And we had the opportunity 
to help Poland send 29 MiG jets to Ukraine. And Biden and his advisors said, no, 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 that would be provocative. We can't do that. Um, we've, we don't have any, you know, strength anymore. We're a joke. I'm, okay, thanks. For, no, I appreciate. Thanks for the call. No, well, I, I appreciate. It. I mean, I, 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 I look. There, there's no easy answer to this, and but I do raise that that, that I do raise the question because you, you say, okay, it's a humanitarian crisis, and it is, and and it it is appalling. Russia is evil. Vladimir Putin is evil. Ronald Reagan was right. This is the this is an evil empire, and I think we've had a number of U.S. leaders who have misjudged Russia and have misjudged Putin over the course of the last three decades. And now, to use the cliche, those chickens are coming home to roost. At the same time, I, I guess the issue becomes. All right, we, we, we don't interject ourselves into every conflict. You know, we, we don't, when, when you have the civil war that breaks out in one of the, the African nations, you know, and you, and you have the, the horrible slaughter, the, the genocide that goes on, you know, we, we don't, we don't, you know, take the, the airborne and, and, and drop, you know, thousands and thousands of American troops in there. Now, this is, this is admittedly, it is a different situation, and we have security interests that are clearly at line. And, and that's why, you know, if you have an attack on a NATO country, that, that then, that then changes the entire dynamic because of our different security agreements and things like that. So it's a little bit different, but I guess the question to me still is, as horrible as it is that what's going on, what, what is the role of the U.S., and do we risk ratcheting up? At, yes, you've got thousands of people who are losing their lives. You've got two and a half million people who have already become refugees. Do we risk ratcheting the situation up so you're talking about tenfolds of deaths, or do we hope that by letting this play out that ultimately you, you might save more lives? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The um, Estonia, which is a, a NATO member, Estonia becomes the first NATO member to formally call for the implementation of a no-fly zone in the, the war on Ukraine. And th- this is... The reason that the United States has ruled out the no-fly zone, the reason that NATO has so far, is because this is really the easiest way you get to World War III, because you say, okay, no, 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 no planes are going to be allowed to fly over Ukraine, and then you know Russia decides they're going to do whatever they want, and then so NATO has to send up warplanes to deal with Russia, and then you know you end up getting people shooting at each other, and then you're you're kind of off to the races. It's one of the reasons why I think most strategists in the U.S. have been saying that the no-fly zone isn't the way to go in this regard. And I, at, at this point in time, and again, I, I, I just keep coming back to the premise that I, I believe that Russia is losing the war. And this is as long as, and I guess there's two ways this can go. The longer it goes on, you can argue that Putin is going to become more unhinged and seek to lash out in increasingly crazy ways, including like nuclear weapons and stuff, in a war that if it's just Russia, he can't win against the West. I mean, that he will end up losing that. So the, the question is, is Putin completely and totally unhinged? 
or do we continue doing what we're doing, supporting the Ukrainians, understanding that there's a huge loss of life that's going to come with this? But whose fault is that? Well, it's it's the fault of, of Putin, understanding that maybe you can, you know, find some sort of diplomatic off-ramp. Jeff, as a history buff, I could not understand how everyone stood by and let the Jewish genocide go on during World War II. Have we not learned anything from this? So um, we are right now, we are watching genocide on TV and probably more people. Clinton was wrong in not doing something in Africa as well. All right, the, 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 the issue, though, is, is this the right place and is this the right time? And, and do we do we want to and and what what do we end up doing? What is the purpose of this? What is the goal? We go to war in Ukraine. We beat back Russia. The forces of freedom and democracy come in, beat back Russia, which I think they could probably do at a huge cost of life. And then you know what what does Russia do? Are we going to lob bombs into Moscow? Are we going to demand the country surrender? I, it's it's a very very tense time right now. There's no question about it. But I. I, I still think you do not want to go to World War III unless you absolutely, totally, 100% have to go to World War III. And it might be that Putin's actions, like I say, become so unhinged that there's no choice. might be if he starts lobbing missiles into Poland or Estonia or somewhere else, you, you're, you're not going to have a choice. I, I understand all that, but I think that should be Putin's move, not ours. And... To an extent, I think we've boxed ourselves in by announcing up front that we were not going to engage Russia militarily in Ukraine. I, I don't see how we can engage Russia militarily right now. That's just me. Who knows? Two days from now, the whole situation might be different, and you hope that cooler heads will prevail. The problem is when you're dealing with Vladimir Putin, is there a cooler head? Who, who knows? Back with much more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. About a week ago, good news. And look, I, I understand what's going on right now. Not enough good news out there. But for the last two years, Milwaukee County has canceled their annual July 3rd fireworks at at the lakefront. And if you are new to this area, you have no idea what a big deal this is. Originally, it was sponsored for years and years by U.S. Bank which before it was U.S. Bank was like first Wisconsin. Then U.S. Bank ended up pulling the sponsorship. American Family Insurance, which has really stepped up when it comes to sponsoring civic events around here um, and naming rights, whether it's at uh, former Miller Park, now American Family Field, or the amphitheater down at Summerfest. Well, American Family Insurance stepped in to say, okay, we're, we're going to pick up the, the tab or help underwrite the, the fireworks show on July 3rd. Well, two years ago, it got canceled because of, of COVID. Last year, it got canceled because Milwaukee County 
inexplicably said they couldn't hire enough seasonal workers to to staff the fireworks show. Now, I always thought that that was kind of a silly thing because if they wanted to do it, they could do it. If they wanted to do it, what you do is you just reassign workers for a couple of days. You say, okay, well, we're going to pull people off the golf courses. Or we're going to pull people off of here or there, and we're going to bring them down to the lakefront, and we'll have them do whatever they have to do for a couple of days. Then we're going to send them back. Milwaukee County could have done it for whatever reasons they decided they didn't want want to but this year they say that look we're 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 all about trying to bring back the event and if you remember this I mean, typically this is an event it's free it legitimately brings um, tens of thousands of people. I mean, the number they throw around is 100,000. That that might be a little bit inflated, but it, it's been going on for 50 years. It is a huge part of summer. It is a great thing to do on July 3rd, and I couldn't be more pleased that at least at this point in time, the county is intent on bringing it back. All right. Last hour, we talked about everything that's going on in Ukraine, all that bad stuff. Part of the thing that's going on in Ukraine is affecting our economy, but that's only a part of it. Inflation is running amok, right? Doesn't matter, doesn't matter what good service you're trying to buy, prices are going up. Gas prices are through the roof, you know, pushing towards record highs. You, but you have, you know, inflation, what was the numbers I saw last week? Up like almost 9% over last year. I mean, it's just, for, for many people who never lived through huge inflationary periods, you, you, you don't understand what it's like to all of a sudden see, well, gosh, I, I got a 5% raise. Isn't that great? But you've actually lost purchasing power because the cost of goods and services has gone up, say, 9%. There is a way, I believe, that we could give relief to people who are buying stuff. And it's something that we could do in the state of Wisconsin very, very easily. And it's something that I have been arguing for for decades. Let me try again. In Wisconsin, we have this thing called the Unfair Sales Act. And it's more commonly referred to as a minimum markup law. In Wisconsin, for gasoline, for example, gasoline stations are required to sell gasoline at about 9% over cost, a markup minimum markup that's there. That also applies to other sorts of merchandise as well. The law says you cannot sell things below cost, and cost is defined as whatever it, there's different ways they calculate it, but if the cost of a price of of a gallon of gas is $3.80, you'd have to sell it for 9% more. If the cost of, um, I don't know, a a dinner um, at a grocery store is $4, well, you'd have to sell it for that, that markup. It's one of the reasons why, for example, around Thanksgiving, if you notice some of the national ads that some, like, like a Walmart will run, the ads they run nationwide, say around Thanksgiving for cranberries or things like that, they're different than the ads they run in Wisconsin because Wisconsin, by law, makes Walmart charge more 
for the cranberries, then they, they might be charging in Illinois. You can drive to Illinois and you can buy the cranberries cheaper. Why? Because Illinois doesn't have this minimum markup law. So you might say to me, if you're unfamiliar with this conversation, well, Jeff, what's, what, why do we have this, this minimum markup law? It goes back to the Depression. So we're, we're talking about going back almost a century. And the thinking was that if we didn't put in minimum prices, what would happen is you would have, <clears throat> say, a large petroleum company, a large gas company that would come in, they would charge below cost for their for, the, for a gallon of gasoline, and they would drive all the other gas stations out of business, and then they would have a monopoly position. That, that's the thinking of it. Now, I don't know if that was valid in, in 1930-whatever. Don't know. <clears throat> I do know it's not valid in 2022 because if you have a company, a business, that wants to compete on, on cost – and wants to argue, offer loss leaders. For example, if a grocery store wants to sell around Thanksgiving, let's use that as an example, wants to sell turkeys for below cost or wants to give away turkeys because people will come into the store to get the reduced cost turkey, but when they're at the store, the score makes the calculation that, yeah, they're, they're going to get the turkey, and we're going to lose money selling them the turkey. But they're also, they're not just going to walk out with the turkey. They are, in all likelihood, they're going to do their Thanksgiving shopping. So they're going to buy the cranberry sauce, and they're going to buy the peas, and they're going to buy the pies, and they're going to buy all this stuff from us, and we're going to end up ultimately making money by selling something below cost. Same argument is true with a gas station. So let's say a gas station decides, you know what? We want to sell our gasoline at cost, all right? Why do we want to sell the gasoline at cost? Well, that doesn't make any sense. You can't make money on that. But we figure there's a lot of people that they're not just going to buy the gasoline. They're going to come in, and then they're going to walk into the store, and they're going to buy cigarettes, or they're going to buy candy, or they're going to buy soda pop, or they're going to buy whatever. But by getting them in, using that, that low price for the gallon of gasoline, then what they're going to be will still be able to, to make money. And this is 2022. There is all this competition that is out there. I, I just I don't believe that allowing a grocery store to offer loss leaders on food. I don't believe that offering a ga- allowing a gasoline station, a gas station to, for example, you know, sell gas at cost or two percent over cost. I don't believe that that's going to drive everyone else out of business. And you know what would happen? Even in theory. Even if, let's say, you move into a town, you sell gasoline at cost, the other four competing gas stations can't compete, they close down, then you jack up your price, well, somebody else is going to come in and start another gas station. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In, in an era of, of inflationary prices, in an era where consumers are being required to pay through the nose, it strikes me that doing away with the minimum markup law can give people a little bit of relief. Now, I understand this isn't an ultimate silver bullet because what the minimum markup is about 9%. But let's, let's say you have a business that wants to sell the turkeys, in, in my example, that wants to sell the processed meat, that wants to sell the gas for 3% over cost. Shouldn't they be allowed to do that? And, and wouldn't that, even if you're only saving 5%, 
Wouldn't that be worth it? Isn't this a small way to help consumers who are getting killed with inflation? 855-616-1620. The minimum markup law has never made any sense to me, and in particular, in times of incredibly rising prices with inflation out of control, it's never made any sense, but now it makes absolutely no sense. 855-616-1620. I mean, if Walmart or Costco wants to sell gas at cost, shouldn't they be allowed to sell gas at cost? If they want to sell gas at $0.10 cents a gallon less than cost because they think it's going to get me in the store to buy stuff, isn't that a business decision that they should be allowed to make? My answer is, yeah. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. couple texts before we take phone calls. Jeff, this should have been done decades ago. I was very surprised when Scott Walker was in office and everything was ruled by conservatives and it wasn't done. By the way, I was too. The lobbyists must have a lot of power on both sides of the aisle. Well, they, they do. Um, exam- exactly. Jeff, this was brought up years ago when gas prices skyrocketed. It should have been changed then. Yeah, one of the things that happened is that gas prices took a took a huge hit a number of years ago and they, they went down dramatically and so then the the agitation for something like a, a minimum markup law repeal it, it went away Jeff I worked in a family grocery store in the 60s if it wasn't for the minimum markup law we wouldn't have survived okay I say what I'm about to say with respect and, and, and but why is it the government's role to keep a, a any store in business? by requiring other stores to sell products, goods, for more than people need to pay. I, I mean, if, if and, and I understand that there's some businesses that are going to go out of business. Maybe, may, you know, maybe, or you have to figure out different ways to compete, and you're already doing that with the Internet and things like that. But, but if, if we're talking about 9%, and if somebody is running a grocery store that can charge 9%, let's round up to 10 10% less on food items, wh- why shouldn't they be allowed to do that? You know, why does the government say, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to pick our winners and losers, and the losers in this case are the consumers? It, the, the only rationale for that goes back to the 1930s when they were afraid it was going to stifle competition. The only justification was, okay, if a store comes in and they start charging at cost or slightly above, they're going to run everybody else out of business, and then there's not going to be anybody to replace them. Well, that if that was true in 1930, it's not true in 2022. It, it's just not. There's going to be competition. There's all these different choices. There's all these different options that are out there. And the person, the people that are losing here are the consumers. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I agree. Uh, government, especially in 2022, should get out of the business of price controls. The market will adjust and will work to consumer demand. My guess is businesses like the law because they know that someone else won't sell gas cheaper than they do. But it's simply not the role of government. Yeah, that's that. That's my point as well. You know, and and it's interesting to me how government picks winners and losers. I mean, I always talk about this when McDonald's, for example, and, and Burger King and the different Burger Doodles, when they started expanding all over the country in the fifties and the and the sixties, what what happened? And, and they ended up putting out a bunch of mom and pop diners, right? They, they they put it out. They put them out of business. Well, did we say no? You can't have McDonald's. No, we're 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 going to do this protectionism. So why are we doing this now? 
855-616-1620. Let's start with Joe in Greendale. Joe, you're first. Joe, hi. Um, yeah, this hi, Joe. is Joe here. I'm sorry. But uh, I was uh, basically thinking here that, you know, the theory about profiting on excess items at a gas station uh, versus a grocery store, most people still walk into a grocery store and they'll buy additional items. At a gas station, I think 90% of the people still pay at the pump, and that's where it ends. Um, I have never seen in my life uh, a disparage in prices that I've seen from four twenty nine a gallon down to three eighty nine. That never used to be. That never used to be. So you could tell that there are some people that are gouging a little bit, some stations that are gouging, and others that are not. But um, I, I truly believe that uh, on your theory of fair trade, I agree. It should be up to the discretion of each individual owner of uh, any business. Yeah, no, thanks for you saying. Totally I mean, yeah, and I guess that's my that that that's my point. Now, I'm, I'm not going to. If you see a, var- a variation in prices, that doesn't automatically mean price gouging because it, it it might depend on what the price was that they ended up paying when they got their shipment of gasoline and stuff. And, and I, I think, but I, I guess I, I'm just a I'm a I'm a free enterprise kind of guy. And if you've got if you've got that business and you're you're, and I, I agree with you that a lot of times people don't go into the grocery stores. But let's say you run a, uh, you know, you you run you run Jeff's, you know, Jeff's Petro Market, okay. And I, I one of the ways I make I make money is let's say I've got a, let's say I I, I have I make delicatessen sandwiches that I, I, and and I market them to like high school kids and I work make them market them to factory workers, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And I, I have a good profit margin on it and they're popular. What I'm trying to do is get people in the door to buy my sandwiches, and so yeah, maybe I get to that point where I say, okay, I, I don't I don't need to make money on gasoline. I, I'd like to make money on gasoline. Don't want to lose money, but let's say I sell gasoline for cost because I've done these studies and I know that yeah, there's going to be people that pay at the pump, but my studies show that I can increase my sandwiches. By by thirty percent, if if I offer these cheap gas things, because yeah, a lot of people are going to pay at the pump, but some people are going to come in to try Jeff's famous deli sandwiches, and I, I'm going to make money doing that. I, and I guess to me, it's a free market sort of thing. One of our listeners who listens in Wolverhampton, England, um, Alan sends me an email. Jeff, we used to have a law similar to this in the U- United Kingdom. We got rid of it in the '60s. It's time the USA did as well. Well, you know, the, the minimum markup law. I, I, I had the numbers here. The, the majority of states do not have it. Um, Wisconsin's is one of the most draconian. Uh, I'd say about 20 to 23 states still have some variation of this. But, again, it's one of these things where, all right, look, look at Illinois. Classic example. Illinois does not have the minimum markup law. There are plenty of gas stations in Illinois. Illinois does not have the minimum markup law. There are plenty of grocery stores in, in Illinois. It's not like, and, and there's more opening up every day. It's not like you need the minimum markup law to stop one particular company from cornering the market on gasoline stations. That's just not how it works in the real world. But the way it is working in Wisconsin is it is shafting consumers in the name of I, I don't know, some 1930 concept about competition. Will this potentially drive some little family grocery store out of business if you can find any family grocery stores that are there, that are around nowadays? You know, maybe. 
I, I, I don't know, but chances are they have to do find you know different ways to compete. I mean, this, this is you, you see this with like small liquor stores. They they don't have the buying power to compete with say the the Costco's of the world or the WalMarts of the world or the Targets of the world. But yet they're able to even though they charge a few little bit more for their beer or charge a little bit more for their liquor, they're able to make it up because they offer extended service and things like that. I'm just sorry this minimum market up law has driven me crazy for years and years as a free market conservative it bothers me but now in an inflationary time why are we being forced to pay more than for something than somebody really wants to charge us makes no sense all right when we come back we're going to find out what john mccure has on his mind on wisconsin's afternoon news please stick around